0: This episode of the OrthoBullets Audio Review Podcast will go over the topic of lateral epicondylitis from the shoulder and elbow section on orthobullets.com. Overuse injury involving eccentric overload at the origin of the common extensor tendon leads to tendinosis and inflammation at the origin of the extensor carpi radialis brevis, otherwise known as the ECRB. Lateral epicondylitis is the most common cause for elbow symptoms in patients with elbow pain, affecting 1-3% of adults annually, and it commonly affects the dominant arm. Up to 50% of all tennis players develop lateral epicondylitis. Risk factors include poor swing technique, a heavy racket, incorrect grip size, and or high string tension. Morris et al. used indwelling EMG to look at muscle activity about the elbow during tennis strokes in nine professional and collegiate level players. They concluded the predominant activity of the wrist extensors in all strokes may be one explanation for predisposition to injury. Of course, you don't necessarily need to be a tennis player to develop lateral epicondylitis. It is also common in laborers who utilize heavy tools, workers engaged in repetitive gripping or lifting tasks, It is most common between ages of 35 and 50 years old, and both men and women are equally affected. As far as the pathophysiology of the condition, it is precipitated by repetitive wrist extension and forearm pronation. The backhand is typically implicated in tennis players. It usually begins as a micro-tear on the origin of the ECRB, and it may also involve micro-tears of the ECRL and the ECU. Microscopic evaluation of the tissue reveals angiofibroblastic hyperplasia, which is a term used to collectively describe the microscopic changes typically seen with lateral epicondylitis. These pathologic changes include fibroblast hypertrophy, disorganized collagen, and vascular hyperplasia. Kraushar et al. described the histology as immature fibroblastic and vascular infiltration of the origin of the extensor carpi radialis brevis, and this description has been named angiofibroblastic dysplasia. Associated conditions with lateral epicondylitis includes radial tunnel syndrome, which is present in 5% of lateral epicondylitis cases. Radial tunnel syndrome is a compressive neuropathy of the posterior interosseous nerve, and it is characterized with pain only and without any motor or sensory symptoms. The prognosis for lateral epicondylitis is generally excellent, with non-operative treatment effective in up to 95% of cases. As far as relevant anatomy for this condition, muscles that originate from the lateral supracondylar ridge include the extensor carpi radialis longus, the ECRL, and muscles that originate on the lateral epicondyle, or the common extensor wad, include the extensor carpi radialis brevis, the ECRB, the extensor carpi ulnaris, or the ECU, the extensor digitorum, the extensor digiti minimi, or the EDM, and the anconius, which shares the same attachment site as the ECRB. The ligament to be aware of in this region includes the lateral ulnar collateral ligament, and relevant nerves include the posterior interosseous nerve, which enters the supinator, just distal, to the radial head. Compression of the PIN can lead to radial tunnel syndrome, which again may coexist with lateral epicondylitis in approximately 5% of cases. As far as the presentation of lateral epicondylitis, symptoms include pain with resisted wrist extension, pain with gripping activities, and decreased grip strength. Upon palpation and inspection on physical exam, point tenderness at the ECRB insertion into the lateral epicondyle a few millimeters distal to the tip of the lateral epicondyle will be encountered. Patients may have decreased grip strength on neuromuscular exam, and a neurological exam helps to differentiate a diagnosis of lateral epicondylitis from entrapment syndromes. Provocative tests that exacerbate pain at the lateral epicondyle include resisted wrist extension with the elbow fully extended, resisted extension of the long fingers, maximal flexion of the wrist, and passive wrist flexion in pronation will cause pain at the elbow. So to quickly summarize, physical exam findings consistent with lateral epicondylitis include tenderness over the lateral epicondyle at the origin of the ECRB and pain that is reproduced with gripping, resisted long finger extension, resisted wrist extension while the elbow is fully extended, and maximum passive wrist flexion. This should be distinguished with the pain with resisted supination with the arm and wrist in extension characteristically seen with radial tunnel syndrome. As far as imaging for these patients, AP and lateral radiographs of the elbow are usually normal, they may reveal calcifications in the extensor muscle mass in up to 20% of patients, and they may also reveal signs of previous surgery. MRI is typically not necessary for diagnosis, although increased signal intensity at the ECRB tendon origin may be seen in up to 50% of cases and this signal intensity may correspond to thickening, edema, and or tendon degeneration. Ultrasonography requires an experienced operator and therefore has variable sensitivity and specificity. However, it may be the most useful diagnostic tool in experienced operator hands. The ECRB tendon will appear thickened and hypoechoic on ultrasound. Diagnosis of lateral epicondylitis is primarily based on symptoms and the physical exam, however. The differential diagnosis for lateral epicondylitis includes posterolateral plica, posterolateral rotary instability, occult fracture, cervical radiculopathy, capitellar osteochondritis desiccans, triceps tendinitis, radiocapitellar osteoarthritis, shingles, and radial tunnel syndrome, in which pain will be elicited with palpation three to four centimeters distal and anterior to the lateral epicondyle. Radial tunnel syndrome is also characterized by pain with resisted third finger extension, and pain with resisted forearm supination will all be encountered with the diagnosis of radial tunnel syndrome. Treatment for lateral epicondylitis is largely non-operative, which entails activity modification, ice, NSAIDs, physical therapy, and or ultrasound. Non-operative management is obviously the first line of treatment. Some other specific non-operative modalities include tennis modifications like a slower playing surface, a more flexible racket, lower string tension, and a larger grip. Other modalities may include a counterforce brace or strap, up to three corticosteroid injections, acupuncture, iontophoresis slash phonophoresis, extracorporeal shockwave therapy, and of course a targeted physical therapy regimen. Here's some audio describing three different exercises in the non-operative treatment of lateral epicondylitis. We will have a link to the video in the show notes. Degenerative tendinopathies respond well to higher loads of dosed exercise, specifically eccentric and concentric strengthening. Here
1: are three simple exercises that can help with tennis elbow. The first exercise is a stretch for your extensor tendon. To do this, Hold your arm in front of you and pull your wrist underneath with a slight rotation of the arm until you feel a stretch around the elbow. You then hold this position for a count of 20 and repeat the exercise. This should be done in the morning and at night. The second exercise is a stretch for the flexor tendon of the elbow. To do this, grab hold of the fingers and pull them back in the opposite direction to the first exercise. This stretch can be done more aggressively and stronger than the stretch for the extensor tendon which should be gentle. Again, hold for a count of 20 and repeat. This exercise should be done in the morning and at night. The third exercise for rehabbing tennis elbow is the most important and that is the eccentric strengthening of the tendon. This involves using a light weight, typically 2 or 3 pounds and doing eccentric only strengthening. Holding the weight in your hand with the back of your hand facing upwards, you use your other hand to lift the weight and hand up, and then you lower the weight down independently. Lifting up and then lowering down independently. You repeat this exercise 15 times and do three sets of 15. This exercise should be done four to five times a week, allowing one to two days of rest in between to help with the healing process.
0: Non-operative management has up to a 95% success rate, but patience is often required. If prolonged non-operative management fails, that is after 6 to 12 months of non-operative treatment, operative management can be considered for a clear diagnosis of isolated lateral epicondylitis and or in cases of intra-articular pathology. Contraindications to surgery include an inadequate trial of non-surgical treatment and or patient non-compliance with the recommended non-surgical treatment. The classic level 4 study by Nurshal reviewed 1,213 patients with tennis elbow, of which only 88 elbows underwent surgery with 97% of those patients reporting improvement and 85% of those patients returning to rigorous sports after surgery. Operative options for lateral epicondylitis include arthroscopic or open release and debridement of the ECRB origin. Arthroscopic release and debridement involves resection of the lateral capsule anteriorly, making sure not to pass the mid-radial head in order to protect the LUCL, and the goal of the surgery is to release the ECRB from the origin where muscle tissue begins and the decortication of the lateral epicondyle. The advantages of an arthroscopic approach include visualization and the ability to address any intraarticular pathology. In an open release and debridement of the ECRB, an incision is positioned over the common extensor origin. The ECRL is lifted off of the ECRB, which is located deep and posterior to the ECRL. Degenerative tissue is excised, the epicondyle is decorticated, and the capsule is repaired if it is breached, and a side-to-side closure of the tendon is completed. Here is Dr. Mike Hayton from Manchester United Kingdom, describing his technique for tennis elbow surgery with his patient wide awake. We will have a link to this video in the show notes as well.
2: My name is Mike Hayton, um, upper limb surgeon from Wrightington Hospital in England. I'm gonna show you how I do a tennis elbow uh, release, including de of the lateral epicondyle under local anesthetic. Preoperatively, I think it's important to mark out the skin incision about three centimeters over the lateral epicondyle with a skin marker. Because once the local anesthetic has been uh, infiltrated, the bony landmarks are difficult to feel. I use adrenaline uh, to uh, reduce the need for a tourniquet. The local anesthetic is injected uh, subdermally and it's blown up to the size of probably a a golf ball. Uh, Once the dermis has been um, anesthetized, it's then possible to uh, anesthetize the deep fascia and really below the deep fascia against the periosteum to allow uh, the lateral epicondyle to be decorticated with bone nibblers Again, all under local anaesthetic, without a tourniquet, without any problems. I usually allow this to uh, to work for 10 to 15 minutes, uh, which is usually the time the patient comes into the operating room uh, to be prepped and draped. A uh, two to three centimetre incision is made over the uh, lateral epicondyle, like you've previously marked out. It's just blunt dissection now down through the uh, through the fat down onto the area of the lateral epicondyle once you're through the fatty areas the lateral epicondyle is really quite uh, easy to feel and once you've identified the lateral epicondyle it's then uh, released of its uh, of its overlying fascia and then very carefully the lateral epicondyle is uh, denuded of its common extensor origin with sharp dissection and really i expose uh, both the anterior and also the posterior aspect of the uh, common extensor origin and the lateral epicondyle an area probably about the size of a uh, little fingernail and then with bone nibblers or rongeurs the lateral epicondyle is decorticated down to bleeding cancellous bone Uh, take care just to make sure there's no sharp edges just with the the tip of your uh, finger just to uh, just to check that it's nice and smooth. And then obtain hemostasis, but this is rarely needed if adrenaline is used. I like to close that uh, that fascia layer just to reduce the risk of a post-operative seroma and then a subcarticular stitch and steri-strips over the top. Post-operatively, I get these patients moving straight away. Within two days, their bulky dressings reduced down early uh, range of movement actively. Most patients have uh, recovered from the main effects of the surgery within uh, four to six weeks. That's really how I do uh, lateral uh, tennis elbow release under local anesthetic.
0: Complications of operative intervention for lateral epicondylitis includes iatrogenic LUCL injury caused by excessive resection of the lateral capsule. It's important to remember not to extend beyond the equator of the radial head. An injury to the LUCL may lead to posterolateral rotatory instability or PLRI. Other complications may include a missed radial nerve entrapment or some other concomitant pathology. Other surgical risk factors include an iatrogenic radial nerve injury, infection, and heterotopic ossification, which has a decreased risk with thorough irrigation following decortication of the epicondyle. That's all for this review on lateral epicondylitis. This is the OrthoBullets audio review, a podcast by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Visit orthobullets.com or download the Bullets app on your iPhone or Android device for topics, questions, techniques, videos, and much more.